You're on the Fiction Road. I'm writer Cheryl Alloway. Let's drive it together and find out what fictional saga is around the corner. Choose from a variety of genres that are crafted with one thing in mind, the love of the story. It's a much needed time in our day, more than ever, to settle down into a place where our minds can go to another place and another time. Join me as we explore the narrative world in podcast format. It's never been easier to entertain ourselves than podcast storytelling. So sit back, choose your story, and see what the Fiction Road has to offer. Thanks for stopping by, and enjoy your stay. The Fiction Road is powered by Anchor by Spotify. Music and sound provided by pixabay.com. Welcome, traveling listener. You've stopped at Story Opus on the Fiction Road. But we have to keep walking off to the side, right here. Follow me just down this trail. But let's be cautious as we walk. For this journey together, we visit the island of Kodiak in the Alaskan waters. But we visit many centuries ago. We're going to a place lost in the mist of time when the massive ancient creatures known as Ursus Arctos Middendorfi walked the giant ice and met the first people. And when that ice began to go away, the island of Kodiak was but one that began to bloom. What were the Ursus Arctos? They were the ancient ancestors of the Kodiak bear as we know it today. It is said that the first people of the High Ice Age North had been there thousands of years ago, before the Russian fur traders or explorers like James Cook even knew the island was there under the big ice. Once it began to recede, and the Holocene era was warming the climate. A time when massive sea cows, tusked woolly mammoths, and saber-tooth roamed freely as the Ocean Bay Tradition people became known on the island before the Aleut, or Yupik tribes. We were not there, and proof that is only partially known is what makes this area of study so mysterious. The people, the animals, their life in the north. There is an honor in their fortitude and spiritual existence that cannot be argued. These early coastal people and the great ancient bear that was cut off from the mainland when the ice began to leave, now become our main characters. This ancient time period could be discussed in great length as to its true origins. It is amazing to think about 
and the unknown is where storytelling can elevate our thoughts on it all. This is where our own puzzle pieces come into play, our own imagination mixed in with a bit of research, and of course, what their more recent ancestors know, and what explorers have discovered. Faint clues are only the beginning. What will we discover about them next? Story Opus always tries to find some fact within its storylines, but in the end, the fictional artistic license of creativity is but a tool to answer the fantastic question, what if? On the island where our story takes place, we find one of the strongest mammals that ruled back then, the bear. We are on Kodiak Island, to the south of the Alaskan mainland, across from what is now the Shelikov Strait. There are many giant ancient bears on record, and many more, most likely undiscovered. But the Ursus Arctos was the father of the Kodiak line. We will use modern language for the sake of storytelling. The massive modern Kodiak's ancient ancestors were larger, more fierce, and more dangerous, and it is to this day the largest subspecies of the eight remaining species of bear on the planet. Even the stunning polar bear battles for this title with the great Kodiak. To be close to one is to feel its true power. There used to be hundreds of bear species roaming the land, and yet the eight that remain with their subspecies today continue to be a marvel reminding us of the ancient world and the giants that lived among the first people. But did the ancient people all hunt them, or could there have been a spiritual connection between the two that is untold? One where we explore the power of such an animal over the smaller coastal inhabitants trying to survive their sea life during a time when life and death was but a natural occurrence? Story Opus now brings to life one fictional tribe of people on an island just below the Alaskan inland embraced by the majestic beast we call Bear, and one tribe of ancient people who found a way to live alongside this beautiful and royal creature for all its glory. The Toviks became one with the Kodiak bear, and this is the story of one Tovik whose journey to understand and be accepted by her furbearing kin is our next fiction road story. This is the story Kodiak Kin. We've reached the end of our path. Now, join me as we find out what it's all about.
Anomi sat and listened. She watched the wind in the branches and paid attention to each sound within them. The birds were content today. They'd come through a huge rainstorm the night before, and now the mountainous, forested coastal island home of the Tovik tribe and all that surrounded it was peaceful. Anomi now got up and wrapped a soft hide around her shoulders, gazing up at the tops of the towering pines above their home. It had taken many decades for the island to regrow its ancient trees and plants after the big ice melt. It was left barren at first, but life found its way across the water on the wind with birds and then with the first Ocean Bay people themselves. Seeds had finally taken to the island soil and it was becoming paradise to the Toviks and all that made it their home now. It had been a difficult fight for them all, but now as color came back to the great rivers and they flowed with the heavy pink fish from the sea, Kodiak Island was burgeoning. Insects, hardy ground-level plants, lichen, and berries gave nourishment to smaller prey that now prolifically fertilized the soil when they died and fed the larger predators. The sea life that used the coast for protection for island breeding, feeding, and raising their young would now have a great impact on the first people, giving way to their use of small, soft boats and fishing techniques that now gave them the ability to feed their own young. It began a chain of bountiful life that the Toviks and the great bear called Kodiak protected together. But this harmony had only come through sacrifice and alliance. The great kin, who were now there for good, did not take the arrival of the two-legged ones easily. Legend noted that when the great ice melted, it left a small, treacherous bridge of land from the inland to the island. The bears made short use of it, wanting to claim the peaceful outcrop for themselves. Fighting amongst the large predators was becoming annoying to the great bears. Their ancient king wanted peace. Now, as the sea waters were rising, the thin bridge to the island was disappearing. But there was still room for smaller emboldened enemies to risk crossing it as the water rose steadily season to season. Soon the island would be safely completely cut off. There were suddenly also sightings of what the Toviks called strangers from the far western north. It started as simple exploration and then 
When the giant sea cows, seals, and otters were becoming known to them, the strangers decided to test new hunting grounds. It was a very dangerous ancient time. But now, for Anami, she noticed how everything was wet with silver dew and leftover rain upon every leaf that hung over their domed shelters. Drips landed onto the soft ground here and there as she made her way to the teaching circle. She breathed in and out. The familiar sound of a flute played in the background as their elder and teacher named Bitu sat with her brown deer hide dress and fox fur shawl that kept her shoulders covered, giving way to her knee-high reed and grass-woven boots. She lulled everyone into a tranquil start to the day. She was the oldest of them all, their healer, their teacher, and B2 would soon have the young ones sitting before her once again for their daily time with her, listening to her words, learning about themselves and the kin they called Kodiak, the ancient bear that existed in almost the same form as they did for many years before. Why the Toviks called these great bears kin would be explained to the children as they grew. Other humans had hunted the great bear and looked upon them as an adversary, but not the Toviks. Theirs was a much different connection. And on this day, the children's reverent eyes were widening. As they sat quietly before their elder, she played for a moment more while they gathered and remained still, gazing up to her. When she was ready, B2 put down the flute and said one thing first to them. Close your eyes, little ones, and breathe. Smell the air around you. Try to find at least three different scents. When I ask you, tell me what you smell, then listen to the sounds around you. Try to find at least three different sounds. When I ask you, tell me what you hear. You must learn to feel your surroundings, for it is your very life that 
exists within it. She gave them a moment, and then she said, Now, open your eyes. The children did as she requested, and sat perfectly still. She looked slowly around at their gentle, innocent faces, their dark eyes, their scarred little cheeks from their harsh lifestyle, their sturdy little bodies that were covered in hides and various leaves and feathers adorning the gaps, and most distinctly the mark of the island earth and the bear upon their foreheads. Every Tovik had it, made when they were young with the claw of an ancient, a horizontal line with three smaller lines projecting downward. It simply represented the land and the claws of the bear, a scar that was given with love and respect. They were Tovik children, and their bond to the island and the creatures that dominated it was vital to their people. She asked them what they could hear and smell on the wind. They did well with the scents in the air, but to listen properly, Toviks needed to concentrate and feel the sounds around them. Very good, my small ones. You need to practice more, though. There are things that can hurt us here if we cannot sense them. But today you have done well. Now, Kiluna, my girl, what did you smell? The next girl was much older, the oldest one of the children, and answered, I smelt honey from a hive, wolf scent from the north coast, and blood from a trout fish kill on the riverbed upstream, Pitu. The elder was impressed. Very good, Kiluna. Now, my girl, what did you hear? Kiluna closed her eyes again and opened them slowly as she thought about it. It helped her to focus in on the sounds and scents. I heard Kin tearing the fish to eat. I heard the eagle land upon a pine on the cliff. And then, then... She paused. B2 leaned in as did the other children. The younger Toviks always listened closely to Kiluna, for she was the most advanced amongst them. She continued with certainty and skill in her tone. Then I heard the voice faintly, but I could hear them on a stranger's vessel. As it passed through the sea gorge, I 
could hear the waves hitting the side of the vessel. They are moving toward the sea, Bitu. Bitu was surprised. The gorge was miles away. Kiruna's ears could pick up the faintest notes of it all, much more than the other children. She was one of the kin. Bitu was certain of it. Then Kiluna added, and even Bitu was impressed. There were many sounds and smells, but they came to my ears and nose like a vision to my eyes. The fox killed the rabbit, the eagle took the sparrow in mid-flight, and is eating it now within the pine. The, the wolf is alone and watching the vessel from the cliff, but there are no others I smell of his kind. He has been running because I hear his heavy panting as if he is desperate. The honey is dripping onto the ground and the squirrel is licking it from a stone. The kin are now allowing their young cubs to try the fish. They are young, I feel, but I hear them shuffling round their mother and crunching on the soft bones. The mother is watching over them, Bitu. I... I hear faintly her breath, and it is now still sniffing the air into her snout to watch over them as they eat. She is full, and I can smell her strong scent. Then she smiled, closing her eyes again, adding yet another detail. And father is coming back through the trail from the soft boat hunting. They were successful, Bitu. As everyone's eyes, including Bitu's, got wide as she grinned with pride at Kiluna's skill. Her mother enemy now stepped quietly closer to the lesson and stood behind them all against a pine. Bitu looked up to her and nodded her head up and down. Anomi did the same to her. They knew what each other was thinking. Kiluna was coming of age, and her skills were becoming more mature and solid. She was Anomi's daughter and would follow in her footsteps to help guide the children as they grew. First, however, Kiluna would have to live for fourteen moons, like the bearkin, and if she was accepted by them, she would return to the tribe anointed as an adult. She would have to forage for herself, find shelter, and be at the river's edge, dangerously among them, while they gathered in numbers to fish. That was not an easy thing to do for the two-legged kin. There would be a hierarchy to deal with, 
and the male Kodiaks were often ill-tempered when feeding, let alone accepting of a new presence. But Kiluna had to earn their trust. They would need to get used to her scent, her actions, her presence. Anami was pensive and hoped she was ready. Just then, Kiluna's father approached. He and some of the other men were back from the spear hunt within the strait to the mainland. Kiluna easily smelled the seawater and the seal hide on him. She turned her head and smiled at her father, who smiled back at his beautiful daughter. He stood quietly and placed a loving hand upon Anami's shoulder. He whispered to her, She is ready for the walk. The king of the kin, Damuro, will be waiting for our daughter now. We must prepare Anomi. Anomi looked up to him, touching his hand, reflecting on the last failed young Tovik, who tried to walk with the kin. Modamos had to appease the king of the Kodiak, Demuro, by leaving meat for him for fourteen moons, the same number of nights that the young Tovik had failed in his walk. Anami now spoke. Remember four years ago, when Gilu did the walk among the kin, he bled out from the slash from Demuro, and he had fear in his eyes. We realized he was not ready to meet the king, but B2 has given much attention to Kiluna and sees promise. I am praying that the king will find our daughter acceptable, as he did you and me many years ago. Just then, Matamos and Anami turned as they fell to movement in the ground down the path. It wasn't danger, however. It was a large male Kodiak bear named Zo, who slumbered in and sat down beside them as if he were one of them. If he stood on his hind legs, he was twelve feet tall. He snorted with happy content, seeing Kiluna smiling. An enemy went to him, wrapping her arms around him, pressing herself into his thick, coarse fur. Kiluna would ride upon his back, proudly holding on to his fur as she grew with the bear. Zo could not speak, of course, but he was raised among the tribe when his mother fell to her death from the cliff, chasing a wolf pack away from her cub. Matamos found him alone and confused after fending off the wolves with fire. They had never come to the island before and were taking a chance using the now precarious and dangerous bit of land bridge that lay under the ever-rising seawater. He had asked the kin if he could raise Zo among the Toviks, and the king accepted this 
and gave so to Mottamos as a gift for his bravery. It showed an even stronger bond between the people of the Tovek and the kin. Mottamos had done a good thing. He brought back the cub and raised him with the tribe, and he had never left his side since. He now would keep Kiluna company on her walk to be with their bear kin. Zoe's presence may help in her acceptance, but he could only do that. He would not be allowed by the kin to decide if Kiluna was worthy to walk among them. Their existence was built on trust of one another, knowing their place and not challenging the monarch bear himself, King Damuro. He was the largest and most solitary creature in the northern forests. No one could match his size to date because Damuro was a massive 15 feet when he stood. He was elusive, but extremely protective of his island kin, the Kodiak bears. And because of Toviks like Matamos, the Toviks were also under his protection. Damuro's presence kept most other dominant animals off the island, it was only the risk-taking dire wolf clan who challenged him once. It was not in their best interest, as Damuro grew stronger and more protective. It was not like them to attempt such a thing. The Kodiak were far greater in size to the large yet smaller dire wolves. The wolf clan stayed clear of Damuro's territory at present, and they were only on the island hunting out of their inland territory, out of desperation. But this was not Damuro's concern. Ever since the wolves crossed this final strip of bridge between the inland and the island, Damuro made it known that they would be killed if they ever tried to attack again. The alpha male within the pack was known as Nobu. When Demuro and his males fought and chased Nobu and his pack back to the mainland, Nobu had turned with desperation and frustration in his eyes. He was trying to feed his pack after flooding from the melting ice and overhunting by the strangers was making it difficult to find prey on the mainland. Their world was healing, but not without scars to the environment and challenges to those who lived there. The way he attacked, though, without asking Jamuro if he could hunt there, enraged the king. His island was thriving ahead of the mainland, with the ocean's waters helping to move the ice away from them faster than the mainland's heavy landmass. He lived peacefully with his kin and the Tovik tribe that respected his territory and monarchy. The early Toviks had quietly come to the island, giving in to the Kodiak's powerful presence immediately, without harming them or assaulting them. When the Kodiak soldiers defended the island from the first Toviks, it was said they all laid down before him and begged for mercy from the great bears. 
This impressed the king. The Tovik elder who led the first of the tribe spoke in his native tongue to the first Kodiak king, begging for entry and of the safety of the island, and finally said, And it meant he was willing to please the king and do what it took to exist on the island away from the fighting and dangerous melting world of the mainland. This kindness for his land and his clan made the king feel safe with the Toviks, and over time they continued to prove themselves worthy. It was a harmonic existence and one of deep mutual respect. Still, to be close to them and walk within their space, chosen Tovik young had to prove themselves to maintain the bond and reassure the Bear Clan. Humans were known to lose their way through greed throughout the history of the land. Ever since they crossed the Big Northern Bridge, people and animals held a fragile coexistence. Damiro had become extremely choosy, even with his own, as to who fished and foraged close to them. Who walked the island soil and its precious shores were up to him. He knew the most fruitful streams of salmon, the deepest, richest woodlands in which to find other food, and the safest places for the young to be raised. Matamos was one that had full access to them, but even his own daughter had to prove herself on her own in Damiro's eyes. His was an ancient dominancy that was never to be tested. It was the Kodiak's very survival at stake. Damiro made Zoe look small. Zoe himself weighed in at a massive 1,600 pounds. The king, however, was a Goliath at 3,800. He struck fear into the hearts of many who challenged him. He was the monarch of the kin, with no argument, and the Tulviks honored him as if he were their ruler as well. Young Kiluna knew if she were to succeed at being the next accepted Tulvik, she would need to appease Damiro. Zoe would bring her to the river and stay with her at night to watch over her, but Kiluna was on her own when it came to gaining the trust she would need to earn. This was Bitu's greatest challenge. Each time she found another young Tovik who showed promise enough to walk among the Kodiaks. Not every Tovik was given this right, and it was taught to all of the children that they were never to find themselves in Demuro's territory unless they were one of the accepted ones. The peace it provided was a gift to each of them. Maudemos himself had not only earned Demuro's trust and respect, but he'd raised Zoe and left bounties of root vegetable, grub, and rabbit meat at the river on the edge of Demuro's territory when many of his females and young cubs, along with older bears, would hibernate 
and there were fewer salmon for them to share. Damiro himself did not have the need to hibernate. He was massive and was fed the entire season by the Toviks. This was what connected them, his trust in the Tovik tribe to help him watch over the kin while they slept. It gave the Tovik people the right to stay on the island, and in return, Damiro gave them his protection because of it, but he was never to be tested. The Toviks had at times faltered, but they had never betrayed the king of the Kodiaks. This was where his stern ways came from. He did expect undying loyalty. B2 now finished her daily lessons with the children as she told them one more thing. Giluna paid close attention. Before Demuru, there was another great king of the Kodiak Bears. He was of the ancient king that lived within the caves and was of a size like no other. It was told that he stood twenty feet in the air when upon his hindquarters. Namos was the defender of this island, and he had hundreds of scars, they say, upon his face and hide from the battles he fought. The island was fully joined to the mainland back then, and as a result, its vantage point to the sea was priced and accessible to anyone who would venture into Namos's territory. It was a great battlefield at times, and it is said that when Namos roared, it could be heard for miles. He defended the Crow River salmon that grew to 100 pounds during the summer run, more than some of you even weigh. The children's eyes got wide at the image of a massive fish with large sharp teeth and eyes that would penetrate your soul. B2 continued, smiling at their wonder. The river was deeper then and flowed in perfect harmony for the great pink fish to breed. It was a place of majesty, my little ones. That place is now our home, and Damuro is now the king. He is to be honored and respected at all times. Only some of you will be given the honor to walk with him. For those of you who are not, you will forever have his protection as long as you remember your place. Be humble as a Tovik, for you are of the ancient ally of the Kudyakbar king and they are our family on this island. They are the only animal that we vowed never to hunt or kill. He allows us to do so with the other creatures here because we take only what we need, and 
they thrive because of it. She paused and said, Your lessons are complete for today. Go about your chores now. The children got up and went about their day. The sound of dried hulled barley being crushed into flour and the beating of foxhide was heard now above the birds and the wind. They wove three different types of grass tightly together along with a thick weed from the riverbeds to make their knee-high protective boots. On the foot portion were pieces of beaver hide sewn carefully to seal them onto the strong grass upper section of the boots. This made them pliable and yet as waterproof as possible. They would coat the upper grass with tree pitch. They would then have something that would protect their shins while running the trails and keeping them from getting bitten by the various snakes and insects. Their homes were simple domes of bent tree branches kept warm and waterproof from the large evergreen boughs that adorned the huge forests around them. The Tovic people were 200 strong, and many babies had survived the last three seasons. They were eating well and living the life they had worked so hard for. Kiluna stayed until the other children were gone, as Bitu had motioned to her to stay sitting. The young girl was beautiful, with her long black silky hair and demure facial expression. But she was like her father inside, tenacious, valiant, and strong. Zoe now sauntered in and snorted, sitting beside Kiluna. He laid down now beside her and listened to Bitu's soothing, mentoring voice. The ground shook a bit beside the young girl as she placed a hand upon his huge snout, caressing him lovingly upon the coarse hair that protected it. Zoe respectfully stayed still now as Bitu spoke once again. You are going to need to remember everything I, your mother and your father, have taught you, Kiluna. It is time that you have been chosen, but there is no guarantee that you will succeed. You must know this before you go. You must also know that you could be killed if you fail. Zo cannot protect you from this fate, as you know. He is but a bridge between you and the kin. Damuro will test you. He does not wish to kill you, but his sheer size alone is your greatest challenge, Kiluna. One swipe of anger from him and you will be crushed. If you disrespect him, he could send another of his kind upon you. He will test you. He will test your fears, your respect for him. And he will watch to see that you can emulate 
the skills of the kin when catching the big pink fish. Some of them grow to a size you may not even be able to hold easily. Their strength will overpower you. If you kill a salmon but lose it in the water, Damuro will be displeased at the waste. You must figure out how to succeed at fishing, just like the Kutyak. It will not be easy, Kaluna. And Zo can help you learn, but in the end it is you who must figure out how to catch the great fish sheltered within one of the river caves away from Damuro at night. Zo can keep you warm, but you are not allowed to make fire near the kin. You will be vulnerable to the cold because of this, and getting wet without the kin's fur hide will be a weakness. She paused and walked over to sit down in front of Kiluna and Zo. He blinked his eyes and snorted affectionately as B2 also stroked his snout. She gazed lovingly at Kiluna. You have your father's eyes, and behind them I see someone worthy. Now you must prove it to Damuro and the kin. It is this rite of passage that has kept the kin trusting our tribe. It is essential, Kiluna, to our very existence. Be gentle with the cubs if they approach you innocently. Show the females that you are kind. If they begin to trust you, then you may have a chance with Damuro. He is never predictable. Always remember this. Go, prepare, and in the morning your father, mother, and I will walk with you and Zoe to the ancient mother oak. From there you are on your own. Kiluna looked up and around the tribal grounds before leaving Bitu to be alone with Zo. She was not to speak to anyone else now. It was so that the young walker could find herself in the night, through prayer, and feel the solitary spirit of the bear. She needed to leave some of her Tovic soul behind and become a walker. I am afraid, but somehow I, I am not afraid. I do not understand this, but I know that I may die if I fail. But what I am most concerned with is letting you all down, me too. I am afraid that if I fail, like Gilu, 
The mural will show his displeasure to all of you. For this reason, I know I must succeed. Maybe this is why I am both afraid and not afraid. This is a great duty, and I will plead to the ancients tonight, as you have taught me to do. She looked down. She rose to her knees and took Bitu's hand, gently kissing it. She smiled and turned to Zo. Come, my friend. We will pray together and rest for our journey in the morning. Zo knew what she was saying and raised his large, lumbering body to turn and follow her. Bitu rose up now and sat upon her stool. Anami and Matamos came to her and sat beside her. Kiluna and Zo had stopped to embrace them before going to their shelter to prepare. She would need to pack lightly and pray and eat well for the walk to the kin's feeding territory to the south on the island by the great river. It was where the gathering of the solitary island roamers took place. They would come together, renew their bonds, and give the gift of health and nourishment. It was why the Kodiak were so massive in size. The nutrition from the great pink fish gave it to them. Zoe's job was to protect Kiluna on the way if needed and to give her his back to ride upon, so that they would not have to stop and rest. She was strong, but no human was as strong and resilient as a Kodiak. Zoe's job was also to bring back her body if she failed, and that was something Anomi and Matamos were not ready for. Failure for one to walk with the king was to force the Toviks to not set foot upon his territory until another that was worthy was born, and it would force Matamos to once again have to appease the great king. Damiro must have continued faith in the Tovic tribe. We will have a hard time waiting, Bitu. It will almost be as if she was being born all over again to us, and we are praying for her to be healthy. This time we pray for Damuro to allow our daughter to walk with him. For us there is almost no difference. Matamos stated, gazing at his daughter and Zoe walking away. The two women shook their head up and down in agreeance with him as they too felt it in their hearts. The afternoon sun was arriving and then the evening would come. Time always passed slowly when a young Tovik was preparing for the walk with the Kodiak kin. As night fell, the Tovik slept, 
but before she would allow herself to be gifted with sleep in her mind, Kiluna had to pray. Zoe sat with her before the small flame of her fire. The scent of pine and cedar wafted through the air, and Kiluna closed her eyes. She had a walking drum upon her lap, a soft, low-sounding drum that was used for those preparing for the walk among the kin. Zo loved the sound of Kiluna's voice, and he was being lulled into his own sleep by her beautiful chanting voice. She was putting herself into the state of rest now, and she placed down the walking drum. Now, the gentle warmth of the fire took over, and Kiluna fell asleep. When the morning arrived, Anami and Matamos, along with Bitu, stood waiting with the rest of the tribe for Kiluna and Zo to join them. But before they left, Bitu sat them all down for one last story that even Anami had not heard since she was a child. Her hope was that it would instill power within Kiluna for her journey. It was the way of the Tovic people to storytell. It gave them a foundation, hope, and courage. The low beat of a drum in the background gave way to Bitu's voice. Thousands of years ago, even before us, the ice had come in great sheets covering the land, and it took many centuries for it to begin to lessen. Our people migrated here over it to escape fighting among the tribes, 
that had come from the big land bridge that joined this place with the far northern lands. Lands much bigger than ours. There were not many of us then, but our ancestors were the people of the snow. They wanted peace and to live among the animals. But the great Kodiak king did not trust strangers. You see, others had come and killed many of the ancient seal, otter, wolf, and more. They only took the fur and left the bodies of the dead all over the land and shorelines where they hunted them. The animals were trapped by the sea ice and could only run so far from the strangers' spears and nets. It angered the Kodiak king when he found out. He took his best warriors and hunted down the strangers. There was a great battle, and the Kodiak king forced them onto what is now the mainland. His largest warriors then broke the ice barrier with their weight and snapped off the ice bridge that then drifted out to sea. The island was safe again, but when the ice melted more and the water levels got lower to where they are now, and a smaller bridge of land showed itself from the sea between the island and the mainland. The strangers also then began to sail boats as well, and once again the kin were at risk. It took time for our people to gain the king's trust, and they were put through many tests as well. The respect they showed the Kodiak king was their salvation, and the two became allies. Our people watched and warned and fought against the dangerous strangers alongside the bears, and together we have kept this island as it is today. We are proud Kiluna, my girl, you should be proud. You are brave enough to help us maintain this ancient bond. Our only wish for you is to see you try. You have been chosen to be a walker for a reason. Kiluna's eyes were wide now. She felt the power of the bear within her, but fear was still on her young face. 
Zoe snorted beside her and nudged her. Kiluna stepped onto a rock and climbed onto Zoe's wide back, slinging her pack over her shoulder. She grappled the long, thick brown hair on his haunches. He looked back at her, and she said simply while bowing her head to them all now, So and I will return in fourteen moons together. She turned, and so did Zoe. He would not leave her side, and whether she was alive or dead in the end, Zoe would return with her. It was his duty and his honor. There was a cool breeze blowing through the trees and over the landscape before them. Zoe remembered vividly the path to the kin and the valley of his Kodiak kin. It would take them less time because of it. They would pass smaller rivers, traverse through dense woods, and climb up and over the mountain pass. It was created over centuries of bear travel. The ground was trodden with tufts of fur, huge paw prints with their distinctive claw marks. Strong scents of the kin was easy to pick up as they got closer to the largest river on the island. It lay just southwest where Kiluna and Zo now stood. They gave themselves a chance to purvey the land, listen, and smell the air. There was a gray-blue mist drifting lightly as it crawled slowly like a ghost around the base of the trees and boulders below. They would sleep up high that night before making their descent. Kiluna found a large hole at the base of a bed of massive cedar roots. The earth was eaten away by the rainwater at the root level and was large enough for the hulking Zoe to crawl in and have enough room for Kiluna to lay with him. She would need him. She was not allowed to make fire on that side of the island as it offended the senses of the great bears. Matamos would tell his daughter, We cook the same foods and use the same wood to burn each of our tribal fires on the northwest of the island. Damuro allows us as his only human tribe to do this. He can smell us on the air, and he will smell you even before you arrive, Kiluna. But fire is not allowed that close to him, daughter. You must find warmth within the fur of Zoe at night, and make a bed for beneath you 
from the plants and trees that you choose. Live from the land as the king. You have been doing this long enough now. You are almost better at it than I. With her father's voice within her mind, the night was calm and it gave Kiluna time to envelop her responsibilities. She was young, but understood fully the moment that was upon her. B2 had taught her to be vigilant if she felt she was failing. Allow herself to feel fear, but prevail, and never forget the power of the great Damuro. He was eventually going to go to her, find out if she would run, be weak. This was a moment only Kiluna would know had come, and when it happened, she was not to bolt, or make noise, or show fear. The Great Kodiak were a clan likened to the ocean giants that roamed the deep sea, and as land giants, they were ancient guardians of that very land. Kiluna must prove that she had this inside of her and this represented the entire Tovic tribe in the eyes of the bearkin. In the morning, they opened their eyes and smelled the fresh, cool air. The dampness was collecting upon Zoe's coat, so he shook it off, and Kiluna slung her leather bag over her shoulder. She tied her shin boots tightly for the descent and stood to breathe deeply with her eyes closed, calming her mind and body. When she opened her eyes again, she could see her destiny's path before her. There were thousands of flies and morning birds diving for them. Bats then took their final dives from the night feasting while the giant frogs and crickets were slowing down their songs. The sun was coming up, and Kiluna and Zo knew they were close. They walked briskly and kept smelling the air. Kiluna could sense if something was close and gathered many smells that told her there was a vast array of smaller animals on the south end of the island. She could see and sense squirrel, otter, fox, mice, and voles, along with a vast array of birds like the mighty eagle, cormorant, duck, and goose. The island was now a place of lush beauty, vast mountain ranges, and bountiful lakes and rivers, and it was that way because of the balance that was created between its largest inhabitants down to its smallest. This was the way all ancient tribes had existed, through honor and respect of the land and all that it sheltered.
Kiluna found them an indented, shallow cave at the great river's edge. Once they found themselves at the bottom of the mountain. She crushed soft red river stone and added mud and water to make it a paste covering the palm of her hand. She placed it upon the cave wall and then formed the shape of Zoe beside her. This was to ensure that all that came there after would know that a Tovic walker had been there. Covering her face and limbs in mud to make her scent less obtrusive, she collected cedar and pine boughs with which to make a bed. There was just enough room for Zoe to fit in, and this was ideal. Less space around them at night meant more heat would be kept inside. Zoe's large body would be invaluable to Kiluna when the night air drifted in closer to the sea. The great river itself was deep in its center and wide in its belly. This was the breeding and birthing grounds of the great fish called salmon. Among them were family members of its line, the Koho and Sokai. They were massive ancient fish that fed the great bear clan and so many others on the island. Matamos would visit many times with some of the men to seek out this nutritious fish and bring back enough to salt and smoke for a year. Kiluna had only heard of it because until now she was not allowed to be at the great river. The Toviks were strong people because of this fish and it was what kept them muscular and bright of mind. It was the same effect it had upon the bear clan. To protect this place was to protect a treasure. This was young Kiluna's task now, to show she could be a part of it. Even at her youthful age of 18 years of life, she was just under six feet tall, and her physical prowess was impressive already. Her shoulders were wide and her ability to move was not unlike her father's. They were an agile people, strong within their core, and able to withstand the harshness of the weather. The Toviks had impressed the Bear King for many years now, and he was about to meet the next of them who was charged with ensuring they still had value to him. Zoe now sat and watched and listened, and after a short time, he began to sniff the air profusely. Kin were close, and they were coming to feed. Kiluna's heart was beating quickly as she tried to calm herself. The sight of Damero's size alone was going to be a challenge, and she needed to be prepared for his size. 
She had never seen him before. She just knew that she was to sit on the riverbed, quietly at first, and allow him and the rest of the kin to catch her scent. Then they would see her, and the walk challenge would begin. They would know she was Tovik, and why she was there, but there was much to prove in Damuro's eyes. Zoe and Martimos visited the kin consistently, and so Zoe was best to saunter down the river and meet the kin with Kiluna's scent on him. It would be less extreme if she was able to get closer. When the king smelled him, Zoe was prepared for agitation. Damiro would be irritated at first because the last young Tovik Gilu was not exactly to his liking. Kiluna knew this and remained silent and still, just watching as the smaller bears and the females began to arrive. There were five large males making their way toward Zoe, who had made it to the merging path from the mountain. There he stood as kin after kin greeted him and mouthed him to gain the full scent of the strange Tavik within his fur. They spoke to each other in the low grumbling tones that was Kodiak. Kiluna was careful not to stare as she was getting nervous to see the king. She tried to envelop the sight before her with now many of the kin beginning to feed as they snorted and looked her way from a distance. The cubs were curious of her, but were hungry and wanted to eat above all else. One female stopped and gazed at Giluna. She sniffed the air in deep, stuttering breaths as her anxious cub bumped into her, as if to remind her his belly was empty. She pushed him out to the water's edge and followed. There she would wait as the males would first begin to catch and feed on the massive pink salmon that was running up a small null in the fast-moving river water. Females would then commence with their cubs watching and learning. presence made the salmon frantic as they tried to evade the sudden onslaught of huge paws and legs now in their way within the water. Now lining the huge river with their giant forms, 
The Kodiaks were proceeding with their powerful, determined dance of catch. Still, Kiluna did not see the King Damiro. This was not unexpected. The Kodiaks lived solitary days for the most part, roaming the island with an ancient majesty, and this is why they were so influential. The king roamed his island kingdom until it was time to feast or battle. This gave him the sight he would need to ensure their home was stable. With the vessels and the threat of the volatile land bridge still giving way to enemies, his path in life was fraught with great responsibility. This gave the Toviks the ability to merge their existence with his and why they were charged with proving their place there with him. It was fragile at times, with his distrust for humans. But the Tovik tribe had now the young Kiluna, and she was very important to their harmony. He knew this as the king. The mothers and their cubs spent many days of lessons together before the young were able to roam on their own. The males were the centuries for Damaro watching over the kin from a distance. When it was salmon feeding time, however, at the rivers, large groups of them would gather together and feast on the bounty that ran through the river waters. Zoe was now calm as they all began to catch the giant fish, spearing them with their claws and long teeth to drag them over to the pebbles on the river's edge, devouring them as they tore the live salmon apart with feasting pleasure. The great fish were the reason the Kodiaks were here. The abundant protein and oils within the beautiful pink meat gave them everything they needed. The bones were so nutritious that not one was left by the cubs as they feverishly vied for their mouthfuls. Zoe turned and was successful grappling one within his large jaw. He carefully got out of the water and made his way down to Kiluna, trying not to draw attention with the fish still flapping within his teeth. He made it to her spot on the pebble beach, and she helped him kill it. The two sat and ate the brightly colored raw meat. Then, suddenly, one of the males moved away quickly to get out of the way down the beach. There was no mistaking why. Damaro had arrived and Kiluna's heart was racing even faster now. She stopped eating, and Zoe stopped as well. As the trees separated, the massive King Kodiak lumbered in with feet and claws so large, the others seemed much smaller to Kiluna now. She was now watching with anticipation 
As Zoe went to greet the king, the blood of his meal still dripping from his mouth, the great Kodiak king rose up on his hind legs. Zoe stopped immediately. Damiro dropped down hard onto his front paws and snorted deeply, lamenting with a low growling sound as if to ask, Who is sitting on my riverbed with you? Kiluna did not look at him. She kept her head down and did not touch the salmon in front of her. Damiro could clearly see it, and as Zoe glanced back at her, the king snorted again loudly. He turned his back on them both, sauntering into the water to feed, only glancing back once at Zoe, giving him permission to join him. Kiluna knew that did not include her. Yet, the first day was not a day to rush in. She must remember what B2 told her. When you meet him, do not seem anxious. Be calm and do not get in his way. To be anxious is to look weak, controlling the urge to run, to rise. Look at him or eat in front of him will be a mistake that your predecessor cannot correct. He was frightened, Gilu. He saw the mural and rose to take shelter in the trees. This created instant mistrust with the king. Kiluna, you must be still as if you are dead, if needed. Once the king sees that you bring no aggression to his space, you may be allowed to move without response from him. Kiluna was not moving. She was, however, shaking, because two males were coming toward her now. Zoe was not allowed to interfere. He was struggling to stay with Demuro and let them get closer to Kiluna. A snort of dominancy from the king brought him back to fishing. As he glanced now and then, Zoe was afraid for Kiluna. She closed her eyes for a moment to tell her body not to fail her. One came right up to her and pushed her with his snout. He had the blood of the salmon upon his mouth as well, and it smeared all over Kiluna's back. Still she remained head down and quiet, 
the second bear took his right paw and raised her arm to make contact. In doing so, Kiluna had to press her lips together tightly as the pain of a slice warmed through her body. She was cut now, and they smelled her blood. Zoe froze, but kept chewing another fish he caught. Damiro sniffed the air now as he, too, ate. He smelled Kiluna stronger now, and as he turned to look away, something else was on the wind. Before it arrived, however, one of the males swatted at Kiluna again, and this time he cut her leg. She was in pain, but kept her tears inside as she opened one eye slightly, watching her blood pour out of the gash. She breathed like she was taught, and would not allow the pain to come over her or move her to cry. Still, she remained quiet. This non-reaction was now, thankfully, becoming boring to the two males. Zoe knew that they wanted to play with her, chase her, test her, and yet Kiluna stayed strong. She didn't even motion a hand to cover any of the cuts or feel them. Damuro now snorted and grunted at them because the scent that was much more disturbing to him was coming closer. Zoe knew what it was, and so did Kiluna. She could smell it as well. She was now left alone with her fresh wounds, but with the commotion down the beach, she took a chance to break her stillness unseen and was now able to crawl slowly up to the tree line, twelve feet from where she'd been sitting. The attention was not on her anymore. Now they monitored the scent of something Kiluna also sensed within the bushes. It was close. She took this as a sign and pulled out her knife. Her blood would attract what was hiding, and what was making Demuro irritated. The two males were sniffing the air in the direction of the same brush, and just as they started to walk closer, they all turned to see a rogue wolf that Kiluna had smelled the day before back on the cliff. He had followed her and Zoe, and was now a threat to the cubs. He wanted the blood of the fresh fish, and now he smelled Kaluna's blood. She took a chance and raced through the underbrush toward him, still out of the sight of the bears. The wolf heard her now and turned to attack. Her blood was feeding his desire for meat. She leapt upon one of the huge boulders as the brush line dove down onto the beach and she rolled away from the wolf's jaws. She wanted to be dangerously close. She wanted him to follow her and her blood scent away from the cubs and the kin. 
Zoe watched in angst as Demero raced from the water and stopped dead in his tracks to shield his clan. The mothers pulled the cubs back into the safety of the bush, away from the water, and the males gathered behind Damaro. He grunted for them to stop and not assist Kiluna. Zoe had to obey. Damaro was making her work for his trust. They watched as Kiluna bounded down the beach and took a sharp turn back up onto another boulder. The dire wolf snapped his jaws inches away from her fleeting feet as she grabbed a low-lying branch and propelled herself up. As he turned to follow her below the boulder, she dove down, knife first on top of him. She landed hard, and they rolled back out onto the pebbled beach. Her blood was splashing onto the shore. She was being bruised and nicked by the stones and the driftwood that lay haphazardly amongst them. But she kept fighting. Kiluna now grabbed the back of the wolf and hung on with all her might, her legs now wrapped around his belly. His terrifying snarl and snapping teeth were almost more than she could handle. And then, just as the bloodied pair twisted and rolled atop each other, there was a loud screeching cry, and Kiluna plunged her blade into the back of the wolf's neck, killing him in a harrowing embrace. She was panting, bleeding, and then, as it stopped, she rolled his heavy torso off of her, and as the king himself watched on, Kiluna rose up on her feet for the first time, soaked in blood and mud. She panted into the cool air, looking in the direction of the king. She was careful not to face them too long, however, as her father taught her to show courage but respect at the same time. She got down on one knee and bowed her head to the great Damiro and the king. Zoe saw a look on her face he'd not seen before. She glanced up only briefly and turned to slowly make her way to the cave, fifty feet further away from the wolf carcass. She disappeared from sight. Damiro stared down the beach, furrowing his ancient face. He turned to tell two males to go and drag the wolf to them. The cubs would eat their would-be assailant in retribution for his threat to them. It was a gory sight, but Zoe knew that Kiluna had shown the king her first viable reason for gaining his trust. She protected the kin and left the body for them to eat instead of herself. This was her first success. She did not take it for granted. She had yet to be welcomed. Damiro 
gave Zoe permission to leave, and the rest went back to eating. Kiluna needed him. She was injured now, and she would need to sleep in his warm fur. As he made his way to her and folded his large body into the cave, Kiluna had a poultice she had taken from her sack and was smearing it all over her wounds with mud. B2 had made sure to include it within her supplies. The mud would harden and help to seal the wounds. The nourishing and healing herbs would soothe the swelling and help with the pain. She chewed cedar and drank water. She had salmon in her belly as well, and now all Kiluna wanted was Zoe and his warm coat. She was shivering. He sweetly let her find a comfortable position, and then he closed his own eyes slowly. Down the river, the kin feasted on the remaining salmon and filled their bellies with wolf meat. They too were ready to stop their day. Sleep was needed now for everyone. This was life on Kodiak Island. Kiluna was battered, but showing her king that he could have faith in her loyalty. Protection was the greatest attribute within the Bear Clan, and she fell asleep praying to wake up with the same courage for the next day, and the next, and the next. Her test was not over by any means. For the next few days, the kin roamed as they always did. They had rested from their great feasting and were now out foraging their territory once again. They would return, so Kiluna and Zo stayed where they were to show Demuro that she could be trusted, and it gave him the opportunity to know exactly where she was each day. It would become familiar when he came to the water, and she would slowly begin to move around freely even when she saw him emerge from the trees. He would gaze in her direction down the wide pebbled beach as the water traveled past them, watching her. Then he would disappear again. Kiluna nurtured her wounds, learned to fish with Zoe, and she was becoming more and more anxious to get closer to the king. She knew otherwise, however, and found herself sitting peacefully with her legs crossed each morning at exactly the same time, in exactly the same place, hoping he would approach her. He did not, but B2 had told her that he was not one to rush into making his choices easily. The bear had been betrayed before. There was a story that one of the ancient tribesmen gave in to the allure of the men on the vessels, and their desire for the shiny yellow stones that were found in the riverbeds to the north. 
for the tribes, they were just a beautiful stone. But for the strangers, it was something they wanted, and they wanted it enough to kill for it. This tribesman was a traitor in the end, who lost his inner soul, and he showed the northern strangers from the vessels where to find the yellow stones. In doing so, he led them to find the animals and the sea life that roam the land and water. It was all very enticing to the strangers looking to expand their own territory. They trampled the land as their group traversed the waters in search of the bounty they called Zolota in their mother tongue. It was also called gold by the men from the North Sea. The wayward tribesmen knew he could trade and barter with the strangers, but the rest of the tribe wanted nothing to do with them. He did not listen, and they say it was he who led them here. They called him Tuknayanani, the weak one. One man and his mistake also brought the attention to the bear the beaver, the fox, the deer, the dire wolf, and more. The men now wanted the furs they found here as well, and it became a place they attempted to conquer and pillage. The traitor from the tribe had angered the great bear king. He had betrayed the whole tribe as well, because now the king had lost trust in all humans. After this, it took the ancient tribes of the north decades to gain the bear's trust again. This mistrust was re-ingrained into every leader of the kin from then on. This was the wall that Kiluna was trying to break down. She felt a great pressure now. One night, as the river water was calm, the moon shone down and the air was warm, Zoe sat upon the riverbed and listened to the night sounds. Kiluna walked up to him and sat down with the large beast that was her brother. He snorted calmly into the air and blinked his eyes slowly with peace in them. He loved Kiluna and his freedom, and he nuzzled her lovingly as she brushed her hand over his cheeks and snout. She spoke now with her adoring companion, leaning into him with her back. They sat and gazed at the stars, Kiluna's mud-covered face giving way to her shiny, dark eyes of hope. I... No, he is not happy at times, so I know he seeks true peace again, but it was taken from him, and now he is seeking the ability to find it again. I do not blame him. He and the kin have not been given the honor they deserve at times. 
I am not going to give him reason to mistrust the Tovik. She paused, looking up at the moon. Tomorrow, I will do the water dance. I will fish and practice, and when the king come back to feast again, I will be ready, so I need you to show me. I need you to help me catch the big fish. Zoe grunted in acknowledgement of her, and he knew it was time. Damiro was gaining faith that the girl from the tribe on the riverbank was not leaving, and she was not posing a threat. This was her second success. Now it was time to fish. It was going to be difficult. But Kiluna had an idea, and she had been working on it for a few days while time allowed her to. Her father told her never to waste time on the walk, and so she had done something she hoped would help her with the great fishing challenge. The next day, she came out of the cave, seeing Zoe waiting for her. There was fish in the river still, and he wanted her to go to the spot where the king would want to see her succeed. It was the most difficult spot, with large, slippery rocks and rushing water. The salmon would often jump into the air at times, and it was this moment that Zoe felt would be the best for Kiluna to succeed. B2 had warned her, however, that the great fish were large and powerful and hard to hold on to. If she lost one in front of Damiro, it would not bode well. One thing was on her side. The great fish were starting to turn dark red, and this meant their time was coming to an end after their spawning. Giluna took great effort in preparing her idea before the king returned again. As she approached Zoe at the water's edge for their practice, she could already see some of the back fins of the great fish writhing up into the stream water. It smelled fresh and clear that morning, and she looked different to Zoe as she got closer. Her hands looked odd to him, and when she got up to him, Zoe could see that she had long claws hanging from her fingertips. She had leather-bound the claws on to her hands, making her fingers twice as long and sharp. Kiluna had used stones to cut a small groove into the ends of the claws. This gave the leather a place to strongly and securely attach, and then, like an arrowhead, she wrapped the length of the claw in more thin leather strapping. From there, she had it bound tightly to her hands all the way up to her wrists. She now had the claws of the dire wolf she had killed. She had collected the paws from the remains 
of the kin's feast on his body and did what her father had told her. Kiluna was not only living off the land, she was becoming a part of it now, and Zo was impressed. He'd not expected this, and as she made her way to the water with him, Kiluna was poised. Zo showed her how to stand, how to wait, and how to grapple the bounding fish. Catching them in the water would be more difficult for her, as their speed made it three times as hard to catch them. They were huge, weighing in at 85 pounds for the males. The river was also now even more slippery from the millions of salmon row that was now implanted everywhere. She watched and made note of how Zo was angling his jaw in the direction of the flight so that when the fish came from the water, he would follow its path to lessen the force, giving his jaws a better chance to grasp on. Fighting against the fish would create a greater impact, making it harder to hold on to. But being like the water and like the fish made it easier to almost slow down its speed. By matching it and confidently making the grip that would hold on to the great fish. Kiruna was nervous, but mimicked Zoe's movements. And then it was time to try. She braced herself within the strong force of the water and ignored the pull it made upon her legs. Kiluna's height would assist her in her stability, and her muscular legs dug in, pushing one foot onto a boulder under the water. She waited, and Zoe grunted to her his guidance that only she could understand. She had made many attempts, was missing the fish altogether. Zoe snorted to her to get closer. As a large female salmon merged in the path of Kiluna's stance, it leapt from the water only inches from her. She lunged toward it, and with both of her now clawed, cladden hands, she quickly and fiercely grappled the fish, stabbing its center with her right hand, and then cupping the other side with her left. She had found the gills and was able to hold strongly while the huge fish tried to release itself from her grip. Quickly, she pulled it into her body and hung on. Now, she was getting hit in the face by the powerful tail as she pushed with all her strength to get it to shore. She almost lost it as one of her feet slipped under the water on a smooth stone. But... As she looked up to the shore, she decided to leap and ended up landing upon the heavy fish, pinning it under her. She had succeeded, and Zoe rushed to her. He now placed one of his colossal paws upon the head, and it allowed Kiluna to rise and shake some of the water from her face. She rose her right arm up and shouted a victorious wail of success into the air, thrusting both claw hands into the fish just behind the gills. Zoe released his paw now, 
and Kiluna had caught her great salmon for the first time. She looked up at her friend and brother and smiled, <laughs> chuckling as she stood soaking wet and proud. They did not know that someone, however, had been watching them. And suddenly, they heard the unmistakable sound of Damiro's deep grumble. He had turned and was crunching through the underbrush away from them. Zoe looked to the bush, knowing exactly what had just occurred, and then back at Kiluna, whose face went serious again. She had been watched by the king himself in secrecy. He now knew she had caught fish, but could she do it again with him in her presence, surrounded by thousand-pound kin vying for the same ones? Zo knew this was now the third challenge she would need to face. She suddenly realized that this may have been a success with Zoe, but with the kin, it would be much more dangerous. Damiro had been pleased to see her catch, but he was still not convinced. The next day would be Kiluna's moment of reckoning. As the sun rose, Kiluna and Zo respectfully made their way down the river. They could both smell the kin and hear them coming closer. The sound they made when they broke through the trails and snapped off tree branches was easily heard now. One by one, they arrived as they had before. The females, the cubs, and the male soldiers that always showed before the great king himself. They made sure there were no threats and surveyed the water, dipping their faces into the river with open mouths, hungry for the taste of salmon within their jaws. Kiluna stayed back, and she stayed still. She knew the sign that would allow her to join them. She knew already they were allowing her to be that close as the males sauntered past her, looking sideways at the Tuvik girl, who had been in their presence for days now. She had at least kept the males content, and her bravery in sitting among the cubs now as they were allowed to smell her and examine her was admirable. The females felt safe now, and that, too, was a step forward. She had not been allowed that close up until now. As they all pervade the fish within the water and became anxious to fish, the sound they had been waiting for came again. And then, as the heavy pounding upon the ground got closer, Damiro finally made his entrance to the scene. His head was high, sniffing in all directions, his breath going into the misty air. 
and as his huge paws bent and curled up under his enormous chest before slamming down onto the earth, Kiluna stayed still, with her clawed hands resting upon her knees. She was kneeling on her shins, waiting to see the sign. The sign that she was allowed to enter the water with the other kin. Zoe went to the king and mouthed and nosed him. The great king was larger and gave the loyal Zoe the same acknowledgement, but taking almost Zoe's entire snout in his mouth, showing dominance. Zoe now backed away because he had the answer Kiluna was waiting for. He went to her and mouthed her now. Kiluna knew this was the king's permission. It was on Zoe's very breath, and she closed her eyes as Zoe left traces of the king's very saliva on her cheek. She was being invited, finally. Her heart pounded, but she did not show fear. She was freshly covered in mud and was as dark as the bears themselves. She looked like a thin, small version of a cub. One of the little ones went to her now and rolled over playfully, accepting her as one of them. The mother grunted to him as Kiluna's clawed hands grazed his back gently and sweetly. He toddled back to his mother, and now the bears began to enter the water with a loud grunting permission given from the king. Kiluna got up slowly and walked low to the ground with her hands out in front of her, showing her clawed hands. She followed Zoe into the water and tried to stay clear of the swiping paws that were now beginning to work within the rushing water. Zoe watched and stayed close to her as a protection against any accidental jaw snaps. She braced herself and remembered everything he had taught her. She kept glancing at Damero as he too fished among them glancing at her from the corner of his eye. Every fish that came his way was stopped dead in its tracks. The king was a force to reckon with when fishing, and he kept flipping salmon after salmon upon the shoreline. There were cubs and females feeding well now, and the males were roaring at each other as they got testy in the process. Kiluna had a good stance, and then was bumped down into the water by a young male. She dove back up out of the water as Zoe went between them, and she regained her stance against a boulder beneath her. Her beaver skin boot now gripped it, and she waited to see her chance. She knew she had to catch one in midair, and she also knew that the king was watching her. This was putting pressure on the young Tovik. She was feeling it now. This was dangerous, and if she slipped and hit her head, it would be over. As the chaotic dance began, she watched. Then, as she was beginning to worry about failure, she heard Bitu's voice again, 
and closed her eyes but for a brief moment to calm her thoughts. You are Tovik, and the Kutiak are part of your tribe, Kiluna. Be as one with them and become the bear. With precision and determination, Kiluna forced her arms out and watched as her clawed hands now speared a large salmon as it burst from the rushing water. Zoe watched it in slow motion as she yelled out to find her strength. The fish was impaled deeply and she knew she had it. She now held it up and pushed hard to the shore. Once there, she pounced upon the fish with her left hand and right foot. It was fighting, but pinned. And as she looked up to see the king watching it all, she snarled and bent down to take a bloody bite from the side of the great fish. Pulling her head up as she chewed upon the bite of flesh, she took it in her teeth now and embraced the end of the tail with her clawed hand. She walked it over to the king, who was on his hind legs, towering over her fifteen feet above. He boomed down now and pushed his front paws into the stones, throwing them behind him to show his dominance. Kiluna stayed sturdy and dropped the fish in front of him as a gift, bowing her head down, clawed hands now reaching out in front of her. The other bears stopped wherever they were as the roar of the king permeated the air. Zoe's eyes were wide with fear as he waited in sudden silence with the rest of the kin. Kiluna felt the king's saliva dripping onto her back as he was now standing over her. She was shaking inside, but saw Zoe to the side as she glanced with her eyes. He was watching as the great Kodiak king took the fish and ate it. Kiluna still waited, and then, as he turned his back to walk away, she looked up finally, slowly, and he turned and snorted loudly. The king had accepted Kiluna. She had succeeded. He had had his fill and accepted another young Tovek. The king was tired from his feasting and duties. He lumbered away without another sound as the others finished gobbling down the warm flesh of the great pink fish. One female Kodiak, the first one to gaze at her on her first day, came to Kiluna. Kiluna now bowed her head, and the female grazed her lovingly with her lips, mouthing her as she raised up and touched her kin, 
with a caring touch. She had tears in her eyes, and the female seemed to tell Kiruna, Welcome. It was over. It was almost time to return home. Her heart was beating with excitement of telling them that she'd succeeded. But one more thing was to occur. She was to wait now and receive the mark from the king. He would decide when she could leave, and for the last two days she waited patiently with Zoe. This was meant to intimidate her even more. As the king of the Kodiaks wanted to now test her patience. She bathed in the water the next morning and removed the mud from her face. Kiluna closed her eyes, her wounds from her experience now showing up on her skin. She was bruised, cut, and she hadn't realized it, but she was missing a tooth. It could have been in the riverbed or even in the belly of a salmon by now. Zoe watched from the shore. He had a love for the Tovic girl that would never be broken, and now it was even more rooted within him. The breeze around her felt as though it was kissing her face. The water was gentler where she and Zoe were down the river, and the moment was beautiful as she heard something. Something she knew she was going to keep her eyes closed for. Her mother, her father, and B2 had a mark on their cheek. It was another specific scar that they all owned as a Tovic walker. Kiluna knew she was about to feel pain for the one final time, but she was instructed to keep her eyes closed when she sensed the moment. Zoe did not move either. He watched, however, as the king himself, Demero, lumbered his massive body into the water, approaching Kiluna. She could smell him and feel the wake of water from his sighs hitting her chest, his low grumbling sounds singing to her soul as he approached. She stood still and grunted once, letting him know she was respecting his presence. The sound of the low, majestic moan came from the king one more time. He could easily fit half her body into his huge jaws if he wanted to. It was a monster and a mouse in Zoe's sight. His pensive breath drifting into the misty air around him as he watched. It was not a moment to take lightly. She was terrified and knew that she would live or die in that very moment. She remembered being told by B2 that the king was unpredictable. He went right up to her face, towering over her and bending down his long, thick neck. His breath was brushing back her hair. He was so close. His scent was so strong to Kiluna, it was intoxicating and terrifying at the same time. He made himself known and then... With one 
slow and intentional swipe of his colossal front paw. The king cut the mark of a walker into Kiluna's cheek with his eight-inch long claws. He knew what he was doing and only went as deep as needed. The blood trickled slowly down her skin, dripping off her chin into the water as she made herself lock into place. He gave her one last look and then roared into the air above her. It was so loud, it pierced her very soul. It was terrifying, and yet she held back tears of love within her eyes until she knew he had turned away. It was easy to feel his large body pulling the water away from her now. She opened her eyes now slowly to the sight of the 3,800-pound Kodiak leaving the water before her. It poured off his huge figure as he sauntered back into the bush above the river's edge. He didn't look back, and this was a good thing. The king had found another ally in Kiluna, and his faith in the Toviks was still there. The journey home felt like a dream to her. She sat upon Zoe, who took care to watch and smell and listen as he brought home his wounded but brave new walkerkin. She kept smelling the air as well as they got closer and listening just as Zoe was doing. She could smell the scent of the Tovic fires and the sea air getting stronger the closer they got to the Northwest tribe. And she also smelled something else, something dark. Down the long beaten path, Anami and B2 ran to greet them. They had both been waiting by the mother oak to smell her and so it was not hard because 14 moons of time spent with the kin could not be removed easily from their bodies. They were heavy with the scent of bear and salmon. Anami glanced at Bitu when they both saw the familiar faces enter their sight from the thick trees. Kiluna was home, and she was alive. Anami could see the new cut on her cheek already, and she and Bitu were bounding forward now. Bitu grabbing her skirt, pulling it up, so that she could move quicker. As Zoe snorted and stopped, the young girl jumped down and ran to her mother. They embraced, and she smiled and chuckled with them happily and with much relief in their voices. A deep breath from Anami came as she took her daughter's face in her hands with no words needed, Bitu stated. You have made us proud, my girl. Come, your father is waiting by the great walker fire, and everyone has prepared food for you. So, my 
beautiful boy. You have a special meal for you as well. She smiled, and the large bear snorted a contented drawl of peace. He had not failed the girl, and Matamos, now with the others, praised and honored their new young brave walker. She had done something that was perilously achieved. Bitu knew as well, but as Matamos glanced over to her, they would need to explain a few more things to Kiluna, and most importantly, show her something that would make her senses shudder. It was the smell she sensed coming home. But for now, it was time to feast, dance, and tend properly to her wounds, and then rest. What she would see the next morning, well, it would come soon enough. As Bitu finished tending to Kiluna's wounds and bandaged her properly, the young walker was feeling relieved. But as Bitu finished, her father and enemy, along with the other walkers, gathered, and Kiluna was confused. Her father said bluntly, The time is wasting. In the morning, we must go to the cliff, daughter, for something has happened, and it is not over. I know you smell it too. We have gone to the great hill and called to Darimu, the ancient call that means danger, and they can hear it for miles. They will arrive by morning. The king knows the sound is one of death. Giluna nodded up and down. She could smell the strong scent of blood and wolf. Mixed in were the scents of kin coming closer and stronger. In the morning before the sun was even up, they left for the mother oak. It stood close to the edge of the cliff where Zoe's mother had fallen from, and it gave way to the long stretch of pebbled beach that spilled into the ocean. As they got closer, Kiluna's father handed her something. It was the pair of wolf-clawed leather straps she'd brought back. She had explained to him why she had them, but he said nothing more. She didn't understand, but she was about to. She put them on as they walked, and her father explained. Kiluna, the strangers have come again. And so has Nobu and his pack, but... He paused. The pack is no longer. The wolf you killed had been cut off from them, running away. He was lost and starving, and this is why he tried to attack the kin. His mind was not as it should be. He was being chased and hunted. Kiluna's expression went to one of shock 
doctor. What has happened? Matamos finished telling Kiluna that the strangers had come in numbers the day before she arrived home. And because the Tovik walkers were south hunting for seal, they did not get back in time to address the terror that the strangers brought. They chased Nobu's pack back onto the island, B2 told them. She could hear it and smell it all, but could do nothing to help. She was alone with the children and the elders of the tribe while the walkers were away. Kiluna had smelled something on the wind that night, but she was so tired and reeling from her return that she fell into a deep healing sleep. They knew she needed it, and there was nothing more they could have done at that point. The kin, too, were too far southwest, feeding. They all knew that if they'd been closer, they could have helped. Now, as they arrived at the cliff, they heard the sound of the kin arriving as well, booming through the bush slowly behind the great Damiro. Kiluna asked, Father, why have the kin come? Have I done something wrong? He turned quickly. You have done nothing against them or us, my daughter. No, no. They are here to wage war on the strangers with us. Like the ancient king Namos, Damuro must now fight his own great battle, and we are going to help him. The strangers have gathered in large numbers in the strait between the island and the mainland. They now have found the bounty on our island. They have been camped at the tip of the island and are now coming back to retrieve the rest of their kill hides along the shore. We are in fear that they will try to hunt more. He put his hands on her shoulders. This is what you are now. You are a warrior walker, and with the kin, and your tribesman, Kiluna, you will help us battle the strangers once again. We cannot allow them to slaughter as they have done. The king is our only salvation, as we cannot do it alone. This is why you went to the river and felt the power of the bear, and this is why you have been chosen to be a Tovic walker. The king needs us now. At the Mother Oak, enemy now joined the Tovic walkers and the great bears standing in silence. A mother, a daughter, and a father, all standing there in silence together. Even at their size, the bears were very skilled at being unseen. Their color would blend into the trees and heavy brush. The Toviks spread out with their spears, and the five large males that had come with Damiro stood spaced out with the king in the middle of everyone. The breath of them all wafting into the morning mist, shielding it from detection. The loud waves of the seawater hid any sounds they were making while hiding. 
Kiluna now looked down and saw what had brought them all to the shore. Death and so much of it. Nobu's pack was lying dead on the pebbles. Some of the bodies were already skinned, and now the thirty or more strangers in their soft boats were coming back onto the shore. There were more wolves to skin, but one was not there. The wolf alpha, Nobu, was not there. He, like Damuro, was the largest of his kind, and there would be no mistaking his carcass among his packs. Matamos and Damiro spoke in a breath language that only they understood, and the king told him simply, Wait for my voice. Kiluna was watching them, and her father motioned for her to come to them. She was shaking from the anticipation, but felt full of energy. Marimos took her hand and pulled her closely in to the king. They said nothing, but she bowed her head before him and stood beside him. Zoe was already there as a favorite young bear to the great leader. As the strangers began to get out of their boats, those watching them from above on the cliff wanted them all to be caught on the pebbled beach. They were patient, one of Kiluna's tests given to her by the king. Kiluna looked down at the bodies of the wolves and knew that they and the bearkin might be next. She was angry inside now and felt guilt for killing the rogue wolf at the river. He was angry too and desperate. Matamos figured that when the pack came the first time, they were not truly there to hunt on the king's island. They were running then, too. Zoe's mother must have been terrified for her cub and also was mistaken as to their intent. This time, they were not so lucky. The strangers realized the stealth of the wolves and so they now set traps of poison roots all over the shore. They killed rabbits, filled their bellies with the poison, and placed them everywhere, chasing the wolves back onto the island, knowing they would find the easy kill of dead rabbit and eat them. This is why they did not take the meat. It was a huge waste. But they had enough sea cow, giant beaver, and otter meat already. And what they wanted now were the beautiful gray and black wolf hides of the dire wolf pack. Kiluna could also see something shiny in the stranger's boats. She believed it was the stones that she was told of, the ones the strangers came for called gold. They needed to be stopped. This is why the Toviks came to the island to avoid this type of stranger tribe that had no respect for the land. The Tovik and the bear soldiers now stood agitated in their spots, and they were ready. Just as the strangers had all gotten far enough away from the safety of their boats, the thunder of terror finally came from the Kodiak King. 
His human bear army now went to the edge of the cliff, and he rose up on his massive hind legs, raging his loud roar into the morning air. It shocked and terrified the strangers who now pulled back, spears out, as Kiluna gave her parents one last look. The power surge among them was felt in their chests, and the young girl gripped her clawed hands into fists. As the strangers now gazed up above them, they saw beast and man standing together, leering over them. A huge fight was about to take place. More strangers now took out the large nets they used to catch sea and land animals with, and knives were pulled. Kiluna leapt on top of Zoe now, her father shouting, Fight, my brothers! Fight for him! Fight for the king! Fight for our Kodiak Island! You've been listening to The Fiction Road, and as I walk back down the path through the bush to the road itself again with you, I want you to know that in the end, the Toviks and the bears did fend off the strangers. Three Toviks, unfortunately, did die, but legend says the great King Damiro was crushing his enemy one by one with Kiluna and Zoe right by his side, striking fear into the heart of their enemy. She fought with the claws of a wolf and the heart of a Kodiak. Nobu's body had not been found at the beach because he had been the last to survive the poison, fighting for his pack to the end. He was so large that the poison only slowed him down and he escaped the fight, falling into an intoxicated sleep. B2 found him as she did her evening walk among the spirits. He rose, weak and alone, and she pitied him when he told her the story. B2 could understand all the animals, if you didn't know that already. She used her healing knowledge and was able to feed him herbs to remove the toxins left in his body. As a result, she offered him a home among the tribe. He accepted. And Nobu, the great leader of the Dire Wolf Clan, was the first of his kind to live among humans. As a thank you for them taking him in and saving his life, Nobu gave all the furs of his pack to the Toviks. It became a bond from there on in for the Toviks, the Kodiaks, and the wolves to coexist. The wolves respected the bears' territory and protected their human tribesmen. In time, the ancient kin of the island passed in to the soils of time. Each tree that is there now might just have a part of them within its roots. We shall never truly know. As for the Kodiaks, 
Their spirits live within the bears that exist today, and the souls of the Talviks live among the indigenous peoples of the coastal island. And Kiluna? Well, she went on to take her mother's place and Bitu's place in the teaching circle. Zoanobu never left her side. The King Damiro and his soldiers? Well, they lived for years as well, and the strangers were kept at bay. But in the 17th century, more came, and they inhabited the island among the indigenous people. Much history of those times could also be told, but that is another story for another time. For now, I thank you, and we're here, back, right here at the edge of the road. Travel well, my friends, and maybe I'll see you again on The Fiction Road. <laughs>